You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We are so happy to have you with us once again. We hope you all had a happy and safe Halloween. Uh, we hope you dressed up well and had some had some fun out there, uh, whether you're taking your kids out or you were out there partying and uh, having a good time. Hopefully you had fun, remained safe, all that good stuff. I am joined by my co-host, John Sheeran, who uh, had some fun of his own the weekend prior to, to Wednesday. John, uh, you made it through, I guess, a crazy party at Ohio University, you said. So uh, how, how did that go? I don't remember much, to be honest. <laughs> but the parts that I do remember. Why not? Why not? Like, oh, you know, it might, might have hit my head or something. Yeah, like, there you who go. Knows? Okay. Who, who really knows? Oh, you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you made it through. I'm glad uh, glad you made it with us. and. Hopefully you remember some some parts enough that yeah. that uh, made it made it fun and worth the trip for you. Uh, but uh, I'm glad I'm glad you're with us. Hey, it's it's the bye week. A lot of people are are kind of taking a break from the Bengals, and rightfully so in, in a way because this team has. Uh, I I might need to go on some blood pressure medication with this with this team this year. They just te- tend to not only frustrate but make things go down to the wire. Uh, case in point, right now. This past week, week eight against the Buccaneers, they hosted Tampa Bay in a basically a must-win type of game before the bye, and uh, you know right at the midway point essentially. And now they've got a half a season left. Like I was saying, you know a lot of people are kind of taking a step back from the Bengals during the bye week here coming up on Sunday, but we are not. We are going to talk about the Bengals. We're going to talk about a number of different subjects. Uh, we'll kick it off with the Bucks, uh, kind of some breakdown of that. We've got an interesting question of the night that we'll discuss, and we want your feedback from the live listeners and live uh, the people that are tuning in live on YouTube and or the Cincy Jungle comment threads. Um, and then we are going to give out some midseason awards. CincyJungle.com is giving those out as well, but John and I are going to narrow ours down and kind of whittle a handful of awards down to one person we think is uh, – the winner of each uh, of, of some specific categories. And then we'll take some listener questions at the end. So you can get in touch with us on the uh, orange and black insider line, 949-542-6241. We're going to open up the phone lines later in the show, but you can't text us throughout the show, but for phone calls, we're going to open that up later. Um, so get in touch with us then, or you can uh, hit us up on Twitter at Bengals OBI in the live YouTube chat or in the comment threads at Cincy jungle with your questions. We're going to take a couple at the end of the program. John, what a whirlwind game on Sunday against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for the Bengals. Um, a kind of a tale of two halves and a tale of – really, it's 
it's who the Bengals have been this year. Very Jekyll and Hyde, very feast or famine. Um, I guess I can start with your thoughts on the Bengals not only grabbing immense leads at some, at some point in this in this game they had a 21 point lead and two different 18 point leads they let those evaporate obviously as we know uh, the, the the game got tied late late in the game Bengals came back and won on a last second field goal by Randy Bullock but your thoughts on not only their getting up on a team by that much but also letting them back in and is this just a byproduct of a quarterback change and they weren't well prepared for that yeah, I think it was the Buccaneers provided a perfect storm for the Bengals in terms of they're playing a quarterback who was very turnover prone. And if you think the Bengals defense, they're basically living and dying by forcing turnovers. And combine that with the defense that was very soft, very soft up front, which allowed them to do whatever they wanted in the running game. Andy Dolan had plenty of time in the pocket to target Tyler Boyd, move the offense with big plays. So all those things, the, the, both of those things really combined to provide an explosive first half. But as we've seen in, you know, the history of Marvin Lewis, there, there's never a, a foot down the gas pedal, right? There's never, there's rarely any weeks where they really close out blowout wins and not let the team come back. And I think if Jameis Winston had been kept in the game, we probably it wouldn't have been as close to the end of the yeah. game. But obviously with the change of Fitzpatrick, you know, Bengals probably weren't prepared for that for a quarterback that were that was able to torch their questionable defense and just in general, you know, the Bengals defense is isn't the, the, they're designed to bend not break, right? Because we've seen you know linebackers give up a ton of yards in, in the passing game, and when we saw a quarterback who was able to s- successfully read you know their defense and be calm and make smart decisions, they torched them, and especially with big plays down the field. So it was just that natural, you know, in the marvelous era, a defense that doesn't really snuff out opponents. It just kind of prevents them from scoring and, and counting on their mistakes. And when that change in quarterback came in, it kind of disrupted all their plans. And then you had an offense who main priority, again, the Marvin Lewis trend, just don't turn the ball over when you're leading. But if you win the turnover battle, you probably win the game. They had no interest in scoring in the second half. They just had an interest of trying to keep the clock moving. And when the Bucks finally figured out what they were doing, they were able to stop them the entire second half up until the last minute. And it really almost bit him in the dust for those two things. So it was just, I think it was just a matter of lack of, obviously a lack of preparation for, for Fitzpatrick, which I don't blame him that much, but it was just the similar tendencies that we've seen in, you know, a game where Marvin Lewis is up by multiple scores and he doesn't do enough to keep them at bay, regardless of the circumstances. Yeah. Michael Myers in the live YouTube chats is getting tired of giving up these huge leads to squeak out a close win uh sharif willis says give dc i'm assuming that means defensive coordinator the axe now i'm referring to tara lost in there um obviously kind of a big scapegoat and rightfully so in terms of fan ire i guess this year let's let's talk about the defense for a second because like you said essentially utterly dominant against Jameis winston and then totally collapsed against ryan fitzpatrick so i mean on one hand, the Bengals remedied a lot of different issues that plagued them in that two-game losing streak against the Steelers and Chiefs in that five sacks against Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. four interceptions, one of which was a pick six. So you got to like that. But almost what? I think it was over 550, probably close to 600 total yards that they gave up to right. the Buccaneers. 
And that is a theme that carried over not only from the two losses, but basically throughout the rest, throughout the first eight games of the season in total. So, I mean, are, are you encouraged because of the, I mean, the big sack numbers, the interceptions, are you encouraged that they're taking steps in the right direction? And are the yards basically a byproduct of a lot of injuries, a lot of new faces still adjusting? Or is it, like you said, they're kind of bent, don't break, feast or famine. Is this just who they're going to be this year? I think it is just who they are with already a, a very crappy linebacker situation. And I would say that if Fitzpatrick started the whole game, they probably don't finish with six sacks. They definitely don't finish with four interceptions. The game is definitely closer. If not, the Bengals lost this game if Fitzpatrick play the whole game. Um, but I just think that it, it, it was just that that tumultuous switch at quarterback that really just turned everything on their heads because – you know, Winston, once he started making bad mistakes, you know, he got frazzled in the pocket and that obviously enhanced the pass rush to do what they ended up doing. And then I, I, I really don't think that Tampa Bay had a good plan in the first half to really attack the Bengals defense because, you know, they, they had so much success with just reading Winston and, and deciphering his decisions. And I just think that with the defense specifically, where, where they are right now, they don't have any linebackers as long as Nick Vigil's not out there. So they're obviously going to get torched if things are over the middle. And it's just so tiresome to watch them do the same things over and over. And you just have to rely on, you know, Jesse Bates playing out of his mind, both both um, William Jackson and Drake Patrick, you know, defending downfield routes and Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins, you know, carrying that pass for us, especially now that Carl Lawson is done for the year. I think that's I think that's a bigger loss than I think maybe some of us are we're not really talking about it enough because Lawson only has one sack, but he's gotten many pressures, just as many as Carlos Dunlap through eight weeks of the season. So it the, they really need to figure out how they how they can compensate for the lack of him. I think out of any trades that would have been plausible at the trade deadline, it would have been for an edge to compensate for that because I don't think Jordan Willis is ready yet. I like I like what Sam Hubbard has done flashes, but he's not ready to cons- pr- provide that consistency that Lawson did. I think that's honestly going to be a bigger issue than what we maybe haven't been talking about. Well, you, my friend, are the the king of the segue and uh, the king of previewing what uh, what we'll be talking about in just a little bit here. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Shear, and I'm Anthony Cazenza. We are previewing, well, not previewing. We are breaking down the Bengals' win against the Buccaneers, uh, a much needed win for the Bengals as they head into the bye. You can get this program on iTunes, on Art19, on YouTube, on CincyJungle.com. We're also on Stitcher and the Google Play app. So check out our content and all of that stuff. And uh, we appreciate all the support. Subscribe to our channels. Um, We really appreciate the support that we've received for this program and uh, some of the changes that this program has gone through over the past couple of years. But uh, we're growing and we're doing a lot of new and cool stuff. So we're... but. But still staying true to our roots, so pretty pretty stoked on that. Continuing on with the Buccaneers talk just for a little bit longer, John, you mentioned the loss and injury. That's kind of where I was going to go next. Um, uh, just maybe expand on the the loss there of, you know, his not being in the lineup. You kind of mentioned you're not too sure about Willis and Hubbard at this point. Um, I guess, and, and even more big picture, you got Lawson done for the year, Eifert done for the year, Croft has been out for a long time, Vigil has been out for a long time, Giovanni Bernard has been out for a long time, the Bengals missed Joe Mixon for a little while, 
We don't know what's going on with AJ Green. We thought it was minor, and now it's kind of getting to be a little bit of a gray area there. I, I'm pretty sure he'll be okay, but you know, if it ends up being a turf toe thing, those that can linger. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bengals, you know, you hate to have that excuse, but they have really been hit hard by the injury bug, and Lawson is kind of the the most recent example of that. Yeah, I was scared of. I was scared of commenting about like, oh, it would be so typical if AJ Green's injury ended up being like Billy Price's, where we just thought it was precautionary. Yeah, I didn't even mention yeah. Billy Price. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I didn't want. I didn't want to say it to jinx it, but I guess it's still on the table. I guess, and obviously with, with, I mean, Tyler Boyd can't carry the receiving core, so if AJ Green's not not out there, it's obviously a, a, a giant issue. But bye week came at a perfect time. Obviously, we should be getting Price back into the lineup. We should be getting. Uh, Geo back into maybe Nick Vigil the week after that, maybe Tyler Croft the week after that. All of those would be you know tremendous additions to the lineup, and I think they've done a decent job of you know getting the guys in that they can. Obviously, you know the, those guys are talented, and you know it, it's nice when it's next man up. Except quoting Joe Goodberry here, when the next man kind of sucks, and that was really this that was really the case with the linebackers. I think Evans played well has played well in not only perfect stead, but also vigil stead, but he's still probably not at this point a starting caliber linebacker, even though he's kind of like a young Vincent Ray. I think of him more like an, more athletic and younger Vincent Ray, where he racks up a lot of tackles, but maybe not as aggressive in his run fits as you would like him to be. And just going back to Lawson again, I, I wonder if this is going to change how they rotate with the defensive line, because we saw Adolphus Washington get a lot of snaps inside and therefore Hubbard getting a lot of snaps outside. Maybe that's the new nickel. Maybe you have Washington go inside, Hubbard taking Lawson's place on the outside, leaving Willis to, um, to rotate in with Johnson at base. Obviously, Johnson's going to be naturally on the field longer, and I don't think that's obviously anything good to write home about. They need guys to step up there. Um, I like what I've seen from Washington. Um, I think he had his first sack with the Bengals against the Bucks. He needs obviously needs to bring a, a decent pass rushing presence, but as long as Atkins and Dunlap keep at the pace that they're on, which you know there's no reason to think that they aren't, pass rush should be okay. I think they're a top ten unit in PFF's uh, grading system, um, and with the secondary, uh, hopefully, Drake Patrick's issue isn't too bad because we've kind of dogged on dogged on him on this program, but. In all fairness, statistically, he has been all right in the past four games. So uh, it, it's nice that not only uh, Darius Phillips, though, obviously Kavari Russell has gotten snaps, but you'd like to see your starting quarterbacks out there as well. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to look at uh, some of the guys uh, that are out there from a defensive end perspective uh, in terms of free agents, and there's just uh, not really many out there. Um and, uh, you know, uh, you, you mentioned a second ago about, uh, you know, the trade deadline and all that kind of stuff. And the Bengals could have maybe swung a trade for a defensive end or an edge rusher, and they didn't do that. So we can talk more about that in a second. Um, kind of wrapping a bow a little bit on the Buccaneers game, John. Um, uh, I mean, are, are, you, are you encouraged? for the next, the final eight games coming up down the stretch? Or are you kind of, are you kind of sitting here going, this is this, I'm legitimately sitting at a craps table and I have no idea what's going to happen here. Yeah. And I, at the end of the second half, like I tweeted out, like, you know, we, we, we can enjoy, cause I thought at the time that they were going to win by a lot. And I was saying like, we can enjoy this win while recognizing that there's still legitimate issues. And then there's legitimate issues creeped up in the second half. And you're like, okay, 
well, this, this is just, this is, this is a win, but it, we can't really treat it as like a step in the right direction because they did a lot of things that they've done this season good wise. And then the bad things kind of crept up when they got a better quarterback in there. And that's kind of the nature of this league, right? If you don't have the better quarterback playing for your team, odds are you're going to lose, especially if you have a coach who's pretty stubborn in, in his schematics and his philosophies and all that stuff. So as long as the Bengals are playing a team, you know, Drew Brees is going to be tough against the Saints. Obviously, playing Ben Roethlisberger again, uh, Philip Rivers is going to be tough. There's just a lot of good quarterbacks left on the schedule, and the defense can't continue to allow 500 yards and expect Andy Dolan to match it week after week because they're not going to play the Bucks every single week. And it was nice that they, that they scored a lot of points against the Bucks. So that's kind of what we should have expected them to do against a defense that bad. But it, it, it's the same issues that have plagued them and. Even if they did win, it's there's still prevalent issues that there should be ma- major concerns about. Right, and you know we talk about these comeback wins and how they, you know, how they've come back. And yeah, you got to like what they what you saw out of the team against Tampa in terms of they, you know, they, they just kind of slouched a little bit, and then um, you know they came back at the end and kicked the field goal. They, they you know, they came back against the Steelers, but the other kind of come Miami's a decent team. You know, they kind of came back against them. The Falcons, I mean, they're, they're kind of underachieving a little bit this year. Uh, they came back against them. So you're kind of sitting here going, well, I mean, yeah, they've got some nice wins, but how uh, how qual- how high of quality are the opponents mm-hmm. that some of, the, some of these, uh, you know, some of these comeback wins are? Last question for you about the Buccaneers game, and then we'll move on. It seems to me, and I don't have, I think I've seen some things from maybe our friend Josh Kirkendall and maybe Joe Goodberry as well, but it seems to me that the third quarter for this team is awful, um, especially the offense. Uh, I, I don't know what that is. Uh, that was very much on display against Tampa Bay. They started off the second half with four straight three and outs, and then their fifth possession. They got, I think, one first down, punted the ball away, and then I think their sixth possession was the one where they drove down and kicked the winning field goal. Mm-hmm. So thank God for Jesse Bates' pick six because, uh, you know, this could be a bit, we're talking about a different outcome basically at that point. I, I want to talk about two facets about the third quarter offense and and um, some of the offensive line play and, and all of that. Number one, is that just a lack of – adjustments by Bill Lazor in the team. Uh, number two is that uh, you and your weekly lineman piece at Cincy Jungle, you noted that Trey Hopkins has played, or at least last week played very well at center. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Billy Price probably will be coming back after the bye. Clint Bowling left the Tampa Bay game with a back injury. Christian Westerman entered. I mean, uh, is there is there a shuffling of the line, and it, how big of the impact was bowling being out in terms of contributing to that those third quarter woes? And do you see a Price Hopkins starting lineup being the best viable option? And do you think the Bengals will do that? So I think both these questions kind of intertwine with each other. Something that I've noticed um, specifically with the Ravens and the um, the Buccaneers game is that both games started off with offensive explosion, thinking that's going to be a blowout. And then something kind of switched in the second half. And you mentioned halftime adjustments. And as we all know as Bengals fans, they, they don't exist. They're just journalists. <laughs> so I don't know what Marvin, you're talking Marvin about. Marvin says they don't exist. So, <laughs> so 
I, I think that there have been adjustments made by both the Ravens and I'm just sticking at those two defenses, but it has been with other defenses as well. There's been a lot of, there's been a change in the protection with the first half and second half of the Bengals offensive line. I think in, in both of the games specifically, um, both defenses got a lot more creative in their pass rushes. They utilized a lot more stunts, delay blitzes, twitzes, twists, um, you know, linebackers rushing off a two point stance. They kind of confuse the Bengals offensive line when you have guys like Bobby Hart and Alex Redman who have given up a crap ton of pressures this year. And even Cordy Glenn had a rough stretch in the middle of the first half of the season. Uh, it, they kind of showed their flaws a little bit and ended up, you know, Dalton with under under more pressure. And as we've seen with him, once he gets flustered, it's kind of hard for him to kind of bounce back. And then coupled that with the fact that, yeah, Lazer's done some good things, but there's there's also it's it's just been him, you know, going with a f- fifteen place script in the beginning of the game, and then not much has really changed after that. It doesn't really evolve as the game goes on. Defenses start to pick up on it, and I think when defenses are noticing what they're doing, getting more surprising and creative with their pressure packages and you know just recognizing what the Bengals are doing leads to stalls and it's up to either laser or Dolan to kind of recognize hey they're changing things up we need to change things up too because if they don't then second half like the bucks can bucks can happen and maybe maybe in another game you know a, a quarterback of Ryan Fitzpatrick's caliber is playing the entire game and instead of you know giving up a comeback they're getting blown out of the water like they did against Kansas City yeah and uh, it's going to be interesting to see. It, it sounds like, based on our, our our buddy Jeff Hobson over at Bengals.com, it sounds like Hopkins oh, yeah. will be. What's yeah. that? Yeah, like, and I think I think what we've heard is that Price is coming back to center. So I do think that Hopkins and Price at center right guard is the best. But I think we're going to end up seeing Price and Redmond at center right guard. Yeah, and, and you got you got to like. I mean, Hopkins hasn't been outstanding his entire tenure in relief of price, but he's been serviceable, if not a little bit more. So um, he's better than Russell Bodine. Uh, so, which I mean, I, I could probably be better Russell Bodine, but uh, <laughs> uh, you, you have to, you have to give a, uh, give a tip of the cap to, to Trey Hopkins because technically center is not his primary position. You know, he's, he's a guard by trade and he played pretty, pretty decent in absence of, of Billy Price. And, you know, that now has to come back and say, okay, well, why not, why not Price Hopkins on the, you know, middle right side of the line and, and kind of keep going from there. Alex Redmond has given up, like you said, a lot of pressures, but it sounds like from bangles.com and Marvin Lewis's uh, recent talk with, with the media that that is not in the cards. It sounds like Price is going back to center and uh, there's been no mention of if, uh, Hopkins will be inserted in the lineup over Alex Redmond, but I, I don't, I don't think that's happening. Yeah. This is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. And uh, we're talking Bengals football on the bye week just after Halloween. We hope you had a good uh, ho- uh, Halloween and holiday there. You can get this program on iTunes. We're on YouTube. We're on the Google play and Stitcher apps. We're also on Art19. You can get all of our stuff on cincyjungle.com. So get our stuff, subscribe, check it out. We appreciate it. Talking, uh, we're going to segue now into one small topic and then our question of the night, John. Um, should I, I guess I'll start with, should the Bengals have traded or made a trade for a receiver or an edge rusher? Or do you say, you know what, even with the injuries, guys are coming back. This team is five and three. The sky is not falling. Where do you stand on this? Yeah, even if Tyler Croft comes back, your two tight ends going forward are 
CJ Zoma and Tyler Croft, who's just coming back from injury. I think that they definitely could have made a play for a guy like Jared Cook or uh, our own Matt Minich uh, of Cincy Jungle wrote a good article about you know some potential pass rushers that could have been on the market, could have been looking for some second life in the back half of their careers. Any of them will probably be better than Jordan Willis. And there's this there's this fascination, man, with 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 Bengals fans and late round draft picks, just because they've gotten in the past. Geno Atkins, Carl Lawson, Marvin Jones, I look at just to name a couple. You know, like those picks are important. Like not every day three pick is important. And you and you saw trades like Demarius Thomas, like a fourth and the next year's seventh, you know. And I think Ty Montgomery was like a next year seventh as well. There are valuable assets out there who aren't who don't cost an arm and a leg. And you don't have to keep all of your day three picks. You know, the hit rate for day three picks is not that high. It just like the only day three pick that's contributing right now to the Bengals roster is for the, this year's class is Darius Phillips, and he's a good player, but they drafted like seven guys in the last three rounds, and like half of them aren't even on the roster right now. So I do think that, yes, there, there were some players on the market that could have helped them right now. If this team was truly in win now, those ass, those veterans would have been worth the, the one or two, you know, low risk, low potential assets that they said kept for, you know, how, you know, for either next year or the year after that. I do think that, they should have been in the market for trade, and the fact that they didn't even weren't even interested in anything, I think it's just a slap in the face of what they actually meant by win now. Right, and I'm not gonna I'm gonna make our listeners do a little work because you can go on our on last week's show and we talked about all of the compensatory picks of recent drafts. I think in the in the Andy Dalton AJ Green era, we listed all of those guys, and I mean there there's nothing there. There's nothing there. Um, and those are usually day three picks, if not even third, you know, second day picks, if you get them at the end of the third round. So, um, you know, you would think that they would be willing to do that. You mentioned Demarius Thomas. That's a guy whose numbers rival AJ green. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, very consistent football player. Yeah. He's had some problems with drops, but thousand yard receiver almost every year he's been in the league. Um, yeah. He had Peyton Manning for a good chunk of his career, but he also had Tim Tebow and other guys, Case Keenum, um, you know, Brock Osweiler, all kinds of different players go through Denver. So, I mean, and you're talking about a guy who may or may not be hall of fame discussion type of guy for a third round pick. And you go, wow. Okay. Then you got the Rams, the, the best team in the league who have a dominant defensive front and they go and get Dante Fowler from the Jags. So the rich get richer there. I mean, I, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm kind of with you, John, where I say, look, man, I mean, we're not asking for the world here, but you've got some issues at tight end. You've got now issues at defensive end. You've got issues at wide receiver. Um, why not? Why not? Why not do something where I mean, it costs you maybe a fourth round pick, a fifth round pick. I mean, I don't know. I, I just, I, I it's it shows not only that they're proactive to improving their roster, they're proactive in saying, hey, you know, we are close. We're five and three. We have issues, but we can improve and we can go get a guy right now. And they still sat on their hands. And this team, for all the things we think that. Things have changed with this team. And, yeah, there's been a, maybe a few more little changes that Marvin wrestled away from Mike Brown and his contract this year. I don't I, – I, It's it, this is still very familiar, very familiar territory. And if you were to probably ask, I guarantee you, 
if you were to probably ask Marvin Lewis and or Mike Brown as to, well, why didn't you make a move at the trade deadline? Well, you know, you could have got a guy. Well, we traded already. We made our trade for Cordy Glenn. That that's exactly where they would point. And I've I've been I've been around this team long enough where they go, well, what about this guy over here? What about this guy? Why aren't you why aren't you active in free agency? Well, we got Preston Brown. Well, we got, you know, that's that's they start pointing to that stuff instead of saying, you know what? That's not that's not enough. That's the bare minimum. The the bare minimum. Yep. That's not enough. And uh, so I think they could they could have done something. I don't think they needed to, you know, get a franchise player, but I think they could have got a veteran rental deal on somebody for whatever that could help them out for these eight games and, and help them move forward. So that being said, this is our question of the night, John. And again, hindsight is a beautiful thing. And looking looking back now into the previous eight weeks, this is where we're going with this. The name, well, there's a couple of different players, especially in this recent era of Bengals football, the 2011 through 2018 team, where where fans have been very anti a small handful of players. Brandon Tate was one of them. Russell Bodine was one of them. And some were, especially this year, anti-Brandon LaFell. Brandon LaFell was cut during training camp because this young wide receiver group behind A.J. Green showed so much promise and they wanted to shave a little salary to make a trip. Oh, no, they didn't do that. They didn't They didn't use the salary for Brandon LaFell on <laughs> anybody. But, well, I guess they made they, they used that salary for extensions and whatnot. Fine, whatever. Um, but now you look at it, right? Tyler Boyd's having a great season. AJ Green's having a great season. We kind of figured Green would, would be his usual self. Boyd, we thought would be okay, but he's been far better than that. But John Ross hurt, getting absolutely nothing from Josh Malone and Cody Core. Alex Erickson, minimal impact on offense. He's having a, a pretty good year at special teams, especially on kickoff returns, but minimal impact on offense. You, you've had injuries at tight end. Everybody's favorite guy, Alvin Tate, obviously the Bengals didn't think as highly of him as the fans did from the preseason, and other teams didn't think as highly of him because he cleared waivers after the Bengals cut, cut him. Now you look at it and you go, well, maybe LaFell. And now A.J. Green is now suffering an injury. LaFell, not a game-breaker guy, but had a, a handful of, of decent games and, and big plays for the Bengals. Now you look at it and you go, should they just should have hung on to that guy through the rest of his contract, which was just this year, just now that the injury bug and all these issues coming up, was it a mistake that they let him go? I'm going to say no, because I think that the Bengals needed to see what John Ross was. And had they kept the fell, they wouldn't have given Ross the chance to make the mistakes and get himself injured multiple times again. But in that same in the same facet, you know, you wouldn't have gotten the good plays that John Ross has given them, and they were important plays in, in his presence. Yeah. He has been on the field, so I think in that sense, yeah, I I think that letting go LaFell was was important. You also had to give Malone the chance to step up. Obviously, he hasn't done anything close to that. And maybe if Tyler Boyd hadn't you know broken out as well as he has, this is a different conversation because Boyd's impact on this offense can't be like praised enough because I, what he's been doing is just very impressive. You know, the, the, 
the production speaks from speaks for itself. He's already had like a Brandon LaFell type season in just eight games, which is no, no, nothing short of incredible for him, especially where he was at this time last season. I think that what he's done is commendable, and it's part of the reason why you know LaFell, even with just Boyd and Green as your only viable options. LaFell probably wouldn't do a lot regardless. I think he ha- he only has like three catches on the season with Oakland. I think he only has like stats in one game and that offense, you know, how much in flux it is with that. It, it kind of brings up questions like what, what exactly is he doing in Oakland at this point in the season? So I think it was just a case of they needed to make those mistakes. They needed to at least try something different in order to see where they are right now. And at this point, there could have been a time for, you know, a potential midseason acquisition or a trade or some, or some type of change in, in that sense. But Brendan LaFell not being in the equation at this point, I don't think hurts them that much as compared to it, had they kept him on, how much different would the offense look at this point and would it, would it probably be worse? I think that's probably the reality that we would have been looking at at this point. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I, I, I think that you don't want to have, you know, you, you, you invest all this capital in a John Ross, a Tyler Boyd, and Malone, you know, I mean, some some relatively high picks in these guys, or sometimes a very high pick in, in these guys. And, you know, you want to see them get out there and you want to see them uh, contribute and grow. And, and a lot of times the way they do that is to actually get game snaps. Um, Boyd has flourished. And I think that he showed a lot already in training camp where they were like, you know what, he's, he's our number two guy. And, uh, you know, then, then they also said, well, Ross looks better. And all of a sudden LaFell, who was your number two is now your number four. And you're going, okay, we're paying millions of dollars to, for a number four wide receiver. doesn't really make sense. But the reason I brought this up again, you know, we can sit here and I'm sure people are going, what? Anthony, you're crazy. Why are you even talking about Brandon LaFell right now? The reason I bring this up, he was he was pretty comfortable in the system. He was an okay player for the Bengals and stepped up a couple of times for them uh, in the past couple of seasons. The reason I bring it up, though, is because of the myriad of injuries to the wide receiver and tight end position and the lack of contributions from the back end. Um you know, I think the Bengals, and they should have. They should have bet bet on the young guys because at some point, that's look. We've always knocked Marvin Lewis about, hey, dude, you're not you're not playing the the young guys who seem to be better than some of these veteran guys that are just okay. Um, but I just, I guess it's the hindsight thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at what's happened to those two position groups, and you go, well, I mean, it kind of might be nice to have a veteran guy that you know, with Ross out of the lineup. I mean, you've seen what this offense has looked like. Yeah, they had a nice two quarters against Tampa Bay, but really with Ross out of the lineup, defenses are really keen on A.J. Green even more. Mm-hmm. Boyd, Boyd had a lot of trouble against Kansas City doing anything, as did everybody on the Bengals. But um, Ross makes a difference just being out there even as a decoy. I think we can all see that. Um, but he's injured often. And the other guys just haven't been able to do anything to help out. Um, Now, some of this may also be on Andy Dalton in terms of, you know, he's really comfortable with AJ. He's really comfortable with Boyd. He was really comfortable with Eifert. And that's just where he's kind of looking. And then also the running backs mixing in and Geo when they're in there. But um, I don't know. I just, I I wish if they weren't going to maybe make a trade for a veteran guy, a bigger name, a golden Tate, a Demarius Thomas, someone like that to come and, and be a band aid type of player. 
you know, you would hope that they would have hung on to somebody that you can get, okay, you know, you can say like, hey, this guy is here. We can, you know, get him a, a little bit. We can kind of hang on to a little bit of the offense behind Green and Boyd, but I don't know. I just thought it was an interesting topic. I was thinking about him. Yes. You look at LaFell's stats, 3K, it's basically all in last week's game against the Colts. He did have a touchdown reception last week against the Colts, three catches, and you go, okay, ring-a-ding-ding. But obviously he would have had a bigger impact if he was to hang on to the Bengals, even as a number four guy. But just an interesting food for thought now that the Bengals are banged up, other guys aren't contributing, and the trade deadline passed and the Bengals didn't do anything to get um, a wide receiver to help him out. Um, got a lot of questions in the YouTube chat. We'll get to those in just a few minutes uh, on, on our listener questions. You can call or text in. We're, we're going to hold off on the calls till the end of the show, but 949-542-6241. We are taking texts at the moment. So if you want to text your question in, you can do that. Otherwise I'll, I'll give you the little heads up on when we're taking calls. We've got uh, another segment before we do that. Um, but uh, get in touch with us. We want to, we want to hear from you. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get this show on iTunes, on YouTube. You can get it on CincyJungle.com, on Stitcher, and the Google Play app. And did I say CincyJungle.com? I think I did. Yeah, Art 19. Art 19. That was the one I forgot. How could I forget that? Art 19. <laughs> um, that's what. That's that's why. That's why you're the man, John. Yeah, yeah. You, you help me when I when my brain fails me. So I appreciate it. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, get the program on all those outlets uh, and subscribe to the program. We appreciate it. John, let's give out some midseason awards. Let's do it. All right. Let's start with, I guess, drum roll. Um, let's start with breakout player. Uh, and I guess I'm going to start there because I actually wrote this post for CincyJungle.com. And the guys I nominated, some of a couple of which are rookies, uh, a couple of guys are third-year players, and I think I had one second-year player in there. So I'm going to give you my nominees, and you're welcome to choose from one of them. Or if you got somebody else you want to nominate and, and or give – well, if you got somebody else in mind that you would like to give the award to, then go for it. I had Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, Jesse Bates third, Sam Hubbard, and Andrew Billings are my – five nominees um, and breakout player, you know, kind of you figure the criteria is guys, a younger guy probably either hasn't had a lot of experience or in the experience they've had with the Bengals hasn't done much, but this year they've really stepped up. So um, your choice, whether it's those five or somebody else, for breakout player at the midseason point for the Bengals. So I think we both are going to have the same answer. So I'm just going to throw out my personal nomination for someone who I think deserves to be mentioned. I think it is Trey Hopkins because I think mm. center we you know wasn't his natural position. He only played there once in college. But I got to tell you, man, just in just the hand, just in the six and a half games that he's there, most of the time he just looks very very natural, and it really makes me think how different the whole offseason would have been had they have tried. Hopkins at center in the Bodine era and just how much better he would have been there compared to where he is right now had he gotten experience there before. But obviously seeing Billy Presley, but seeing how Trey Hopkins has come in 
and produce one of the best games at center against Tampa Bay that we've seen from a center, a Bengals center in such a long time. I think it's worthy of at least, um, at least of a nomination, but I think the clear answer is Boyd just compared to where he was last year and where he is now as, as one of the upper echelon number two receivers in the NFL, an ideal compliment to AJ Green, truly the next generation of TJ, TJ Hushman Zamba. I think it, Hushman Zada, Hushman Zama. It's like a, I think I just mixed CJ Uzama in there. Uh, but yeah, I think, yeah, it, it's gotta be Boyd. Who, who's your mama? TJ, who's your mama? Right. <laughs> um, yeah. I, really good call on Hopkins. And uh, I, I have another award uh, post that's going to come out that he is going to be nominated for. Um yeah, I, th- I think I got to go with you with Boyd. I do want to say Mixon, you know, it's easy because Mixon was already kind of, you know, you saw you saw some things last year. He contributed a little more heavily last year to the offense than, than Boyd. When I say Mixon, the, the thing to me is the the yards per carry yeah. uh, difference. And, yeah, you can look at the offensive line for that. But um, he was at 3-5 for the season last year, and he's at 4-8 this year. That's a, that's a huge difference. That is a huge difference. And, um, you know, it, it, it seems as if it's like every time the Bengals line up out of shotgun and give him a draw play or a, a counter play out of shotgun, he gets anywhere from six to nine yards. It's, it's, it's crazy. Um, so, you know, I, I, you gotta like that from him. He's, he's going to be on pay, pace to, uh, he's on pace to break a thousand yards and he should get more carries. And then I think just with, with Giovanni Bernard coming back, I think that that tandem is really going to just help the offense going forward. Those guys have barely played together this year. Right. Um, they've been hurt at different times. So, um, you know, getting those guys back and playing together, I think is going to help a lot, but I, I'm going to go with Boyd for the reasons you said, and he's basically first or second in all the major receiving categories for the team. He's second on the team with uh, touchdown receptions with, with five and second with yards and with 620. And then he's first on the team in receptions with 49. Both he and Green are on pace for 1,000-yard seasons and double-digit touchdown seasons. That would be pretty awesome if, if they could both do that. Uh, obviously, it would be even more awesome if it means that they made the playoffs because of it. But um, if they both can get a thousand yards and double digit touchdowns, that's that's a pretty special season from your from your top two receivers. So I will go with Tyler Boyd as well for the uh, breakout player uh, at midseason point. I see a lot of agreement in the live YouTube chat as well. Let's move on to. I guess we'll go with uh, unsung hero. This is this is one of the the ones I also do weekly for the team. Unsung hero uh, for the for the season or for the midseason point. Usually, this is for guys that step up um, in, in the wake of injury and play well, or guys that just go and they play well and they just go and notice because of the position they play, um, or you know, there's a star. You know, for instance, if it's Boyd, you know, just AJ Green gets a lot of the praise and whatever, but Boyd is kind of gets overlooked a little bit sometimes. But usually for me, this is usually a lineman 
or uh, a backup player that has come in and, and played in a more prominent role to play well. For me, I will go with your your choice, John. I'm going to say Hopkins for this one. I think I think he deserves the nod as unsung hero, um, playing a, an important position at center, playing it pretty well, and stepping in for Billy Price. And uh, there really hasn't been much of a dip at all um, in terms of what the offense was doing with Price and with him. Okay. Um, Hopkins is a good choice for the sake of diversity. I'll go with somebody a little bit different. Um, I'm going to go with Darius Phillips. And I'm not tremendously confident in that answer, but I just feel like with the nature of what happened at the position, Dark was and our went out. Um, they, they weren't like they only had Tony McRae behind him. And Phillips is obviously like last measure. But just in the past few games, has, hasn't didn't really get targeted a lot up until the Tampa Bay game where he was kind of had some bad moments down the field, but just in the minimal plays that he's been out there the first two games, he made a lot of impact plays, made a lot of solid tackles at the line of scrimmage and just hasn't really had any bad moments, I guess. And it's kind of where I was with also Nick Vigil, who was uh, up until he was injured um, playing extremely well, was by far their best linebacker, even with Vance's perfect on the field, he would have been probably my answer had he had, he had been staying healthy throughout the season, but just for the sake of what the award is, I'm going to go for the sake of diversity to Darius Phillips, who I think is playing pr- pretty solid for a fifth round pick, third on the depth chart at the position. Okay. I like it. So you've got Darius Phillips as the unsung hero. I have Trey Hopkins. Let's move on to rookie of the year. And this is probably a <laughs> two, two horse race. If that, um, who, who do you have for rookie of the year? I think I know where you're probably going to go. One, two, three, Bates. Bates, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, he's he's balling out. He's playing like one of the best safeties period in the league. Um, just everything that was great about him in Wake Forest has been ex- exemplif- ex- exemplified in the Bengals defense. He hasn't truly been a true free safety. He's been more of that split, uh, two two high safety look, but just in terms of covering ground playing with instincts, playing the ball pretty very well. He's just been everything as advertised. You know, their decision to move on from Georgia Loca for him has obviously paid off, and he's probably a legitimate defensive rookie of the year candidate at this point. Yeah, he's been uh, – if you're a, if you're a big PFF guy, he was their AFC Defensive Rookie of the Month for October, and he was a midseason All-Pro by their standards. Um, I did have on him – he leads the team in tackles – he co-leads the team in interceptions uh, with three. And, you know, he's, he had the big pick six last week. So you, you got to like what you've seen from him. I'm going to say this, though, okay? I've seen a lot of – and I don't know if it's Austin. I don't know if it's Bates. I don't know if it's Sean Williams. Who, by the way, Sean Williams, statistically speaking, has had a nice season as well. Yeah, uh, sure. Co-leader with interceptions with three and uh, had his fourth fumble, I think a sack. Um he was enormous in that Ravens win. He was absolutely huge in that game. Um, but there seems to still be a lot of miscommunication and a lot of big plays given up between the cornerbacks, the safeties, a lot of guys getting beat deep. Um, Bates has been around the ball a lot. He's got a lot of defended passes, a lot of interceptions so far. But um, that's the one thing where I kind of go, well, okay, that's where I kind of disagree a little bit with pro football focus in the, in their metrics. But, um, you know, it's it's, pro- it's probably not all him in terms of that miscommunication or those big plays. Uh, sometimes they're not even his guy to guard. But 
I just would like to see that short up, obviously, as as the year goes on. And he's a young guy; he'll learn he'll, he'll learn a little bit more. I think Aloka and Williams played well, just because they played with each other for so long. You know, they yeah. played well together. Obviously, Aloka and, and Reggie uh, Reggie Nelson played very well together. So it just takes time to build a little bit of that chemistry. But I'd like to see that going forward. But yeah, Bates Bates is there, and then uh, you know you got Hubbard contributing and some other guys. But um, Bates Bates should be the clear cut guy there um before we kind of get to the mvps john i got a weird one for you and this is this is kind of going to be off the cuff so i hope i don't throw you for too much of a loop here but let's let's do play of the year so far the biggest biggest play of the year at the mid-season point and there are a lot to choose from um i don't think there's really a wrong answer here unless you say like something against the chiefs you know play against the chiefs (laughs) um but uh yeah, let's go. Let's go play of the year. Hmm. I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Joe Mixon's 43 yard run against the Bucks because for the first time in a while, I jumped out of my seat from a block made by the Bengals, and it was Trey Hopkins on the move, just destroying a linebacker. And also on that play, I think Clint Bowling got in front. Unfortunately, got injured, and it was a play he twisted his back a little bit. But some great blocks made down the field, and I think Mixon forced more tackles on that run than he had the entire season. And it also crossed, or he also crossed the century mark for rushing yards. It was like the first time Bengals running back has done that in the first half since Cedric Benson did it like a decade ago. And I'm really only answering this because that's how, that's how far back my memory has gone for plays. But um, but no, that that play was exciting and did a lot of things that made, made me excited about you know the the players that were out there. And um, unfortunately, Bowling got hurt on it, but it, it it did a lot of good things. And I think it led to AJ Green scoring a touchdown the very next play. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to choose from here. I mean, you could you could say, I mean, a number of AJ Green plays. You can say a number of Tyler Boyd plays. Um, you could you could sit here and say, you know, Bates pick six last week was it was a gigantic yeah. play. Um, I, I I I'm torn between two. I am torn between Andy Dalton AJ Green touchdown against Atlanta to win the game. Uh, with, with just a couple of seconds left, that's kind of obvious, I guess. But that 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 play is something that the Bengals just they didn't they. That's not something that happens to the Bengals often. That's and, right. and on the road and a game where you're like, wow, you know, the team had been struggling the past couple of years. You needed to kind of keep this momentum going, and um, you know that you got to like that. So that was one, and then I guess the other that I thought was gigantic was the Michael Johnson interception return against, against Miami. Um, number one, I just, I have a soft spot for Michael Johnson, the guy. I just, I mm. think, I, I just, I think he's a great human being. Um, and has and has been a good, a good Bengal player in terms of just locker room guy and just a, just a good guy that they've hung on to for a variety of reasons, not necessarily the stat leader guy, but, um, you know, a solid, solid guy, Maybe not the past couple of years, but solid contributor for the team throughout a good portion of his career. But anyway, again, another game the Bengals needed, AFC win. You know, they were facing the Steelers the next week, and they needed to get that win to, you know, keep pace and and all of that stuff. Nothing was working on offense that day, and that was the play. There was a couple, you know, Mixon had a nice, you know, touchdown catch that was, you know, almost a little fluky. In yeah. that game, but uh, that was the play that kind of turned not only that game, but all of a sudden it was kind of like, wow, this 
this team's finding creative ways to win. And, uh, you know, it got them to, what was it? Four, four and one. I think. Four one. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, those are my two nominees for the two, the two biggest plays. I, I, you know, I did, really I did the biggest double take watching that play. It was, definitely- yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, it was hard to figure out what was happening when you watched it live. I was like, what the heck just happened? Um, so that's, that's interesting. Yeah. And then Jason Bonstein says the Sam Hubbard touchdown against Miami. Really good one. Also from Chris Berry and the fed, the Fedulum Colts game, the fumble recovery. Um, mm-hmm. You know that once that that started that started the season with an exclamation point as well. So, like I said, not many bad answers here. Um, that's uh, th- that's kind of where we're going. Uh, Zachary Stemple said, "I really like the Williams strip sack against Baltimore." So uh, we're we're kind of running up against time a little bit, John. Let's just go offensive MVP and defensive MVP at this point. Your defensive MVP is Geno Atkins, just okay. dominant. Like he, he was on pace for Aaron Donald early on. He kind of dropped off a little bit when they were in that two game skid, but he's as dominant as ever. And he carries the defense at this point. Yeah, I agree. Uh, hasn't been in the sack column the past three weeks, I believe, but this last week, I think he forced like three holding penalties. He had like five pressures or something. I mean, it was, he was silly. Um, yeah. And I, and I think even though he didn't get those sacks, he allowed those five sacks to happen this last week. So yeah, still, still great. I, I wish there was some consistency around him, both as pass rushers and at Andrew Billings' spot. I think Billings has improved from mm-hmm. last year, but still not greatly improved. So, uh, you know, he gets a little more help. I think, I think it'll even help his game out. But uh, yeah, he he's doing he's doing his thing. Offensive MVP, John. Um, this can go a number of different ways. I I think it's Dalton. And I went back and forth between him and Boyd for a little bit, but I'm just thinking about how better this offense is because of Dalton's newfound consistency. And it's something that we've talked about earlier in the season on the show. And it's just something that we just haven't been used to. But as long as like we, we, we can just be comfortable that Dalton is not going to completely collapse during a game as long as it's not like in prime time or whatever. But I, I just think that Laser hasn't been as good as everyone is making him out to be. But despite that, I think Dalton is finally just relaxing into what he is, and he's just playing at a level that is is sustainable for the Bengals, and it's partly why the offense has been able to, you know, pull out games even when their defense hasn't been doing as well. And you know, it's a quarterback league, and when he's he's not playing tremendous compared to other quarterbacks in the league. There's been a passing boom uh, this year alone, but I just think he's playing at a very high level with a lot of injuries around him, and you know, relatively high level, I guess. So. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to say him just because of those circumstances. Yes, he has played well. Um, probably, I would say to me, this eight game stretch. I would say that this is probably the second best stretch of a season we've seen from Andy Dalton, going back to 2015. Obviously, being the, the highest. Now he's 13th in the league. In, in passing yards and it's a very slim margin between him and number eight, mm-hmm. uh, you know, eight through eight through 13 are very, very close. Um, actually eight through 16 are very, very close. Um, so he's 13th there, but in touchdown passes, he is, where is he at? He's third in the league in touchdown passes with 17 only Andrew Luck and Patrick Mahomes have more touchdown passes than, than Andy Dalton. Now Jared Goff, Phillip rivers uh, are tied with him. Tom Brady is one behind him, 
but uh, 17 touchdown passes through through eight games. That's over two a game. That's that's, that, not that, bad. that's four games without Eifert, who like really inflated his touchdown total in 2015. Yep, yep, and uh, really, like we said, without a lot of guys, without mm-hmm. Ross, without Eifert, without Croft. You know, Croft was a guy who had six or seven touchdowns last year as well. So, uh, you know, without a lot of guys, still in at times average to maybe slightly above average offensive line, probably average at at best with times being below average. So, um, you know, he's getting it done. It's it's hard. I, I want to give it to A.J. Green because A.J. Green is, has been doing some immense things, um, basically carried helped to carry the offense in the Ravens win, helped to carry the offense and, uh, you know, big touchdown against Tampa Bay, the game-winning touchdown against Atlanta. I'm tempted to go with him, but um, I guess since Andy Dalton is playing pretty well at the moment, I will uh, I will give it to him and um, still wish he had played better against Kansas City. But he, he played, statistically speaking, he played pretty decent against Pittsburgh, a team he is, does not play very well against. And he played well last week in some weird weather. Um, so I'll, I'll give it to him. I'll go with you as well. Andy Dalton with AJ green right behind him. So those are some of our mid season Bengals awards. There's going to be a series full of a bunch of different ones on cincyjungle.com. So keep it there. Um, and you can vote on yours. You can sound off on yours and, uh, let it, let everybody know who you think and how, how wrong we are about who we picked on, on some of these. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can get this show, as I've mentioned, on Art19 at CincyJungle.com, on iTunes, on YouTube, and on Stitcher and Google Play. You can get them on a bunch of different – no excuses. No excuses. You can get on a lot of different stuff. So get it. Subscribe. And uh, we so appreciate you guys tuning in. Every time we do this episode, we appreciate the live listeners. We appreciate the subscribers who check us out later and uh, all of that. We're going to get out of here with just a couple of listener questions. We've gone a little longer than we thought, but we did get some listener questions. We do have uh, some time maybe for a a call or two and or some texts. So if you want to get in, 949-542-6241, we'll try and get to you. We do have a question on Twitter, though, John. Um, there is a question from our good friend, Sam Anger, and he is across the pond in, in the UK. Um, he says, Hey lads. So you can tell he's, he's from the UK. Um, Hey lads. Uh, sorry, I lost it here. One sec. Hey lads, hope you're doing well. Question for Anthony. Do you, th- well, let's start with yours. Cause he has one for me and one for you. Let's start with yours, John. Question right. for John. Do you think William Jackson, the third is struggling with Austin's system? If you, so if you, if so, do you think it's a low? Uh, perhaps, I guess. Um, I don't think Austin's scheme directly impacts the way Jackson has been suspect to double moves that he has. I think that's, kind of been an issue going back to last year with him specifically it's ty hilton that's like the most glaring example but i think what a lot of people wanted to see from him is you know following that team's best receiver and i'm not sure that's a great idea in the sense that guys are lining up a lot more in the slot and i don't think that he has the you know the the, the hips to really handle got shifty guys in the slot so i maybe perhaps but i just think that Jackson was kind of going through the motions early on the season, but the past like three or four games, he's been playing very good. You know, 
almost to the level that he was at last year. So I think he was just kind of in a rough patch against very good competition. But he, I think he's coming back. And I don't think it has a lot to do with what Austin is doing on, on as the play caller. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. And I think um, – and, and you might have touched on this a little bit here. But, you know, when the Bengals drafted Jackson, it was under Gunther. And Gunther likes those kind of those press man, leave a guy out on the island type of thing. Um, and, you know, that's just not too much of a – that's not that's not so much what Austin is preaching. We've got a call on the line here, and we'll get to a, a question here. So hang on, hang tight, one sec, John. Hey, it's the Orange and Black Insider. Who's this? Aaron. Aaron? Yeah, Aaron. Hey, how you doing, bud? That's a great question, and there's a lot of different caveats to that, and and John and I will answer that off the air. But before we do, before we uh, get you out of here, Aaron, um, you're I don't know if you were here earlier in the show when we did a question of the night in terms of uh, Brandon LaFell. I mean, do you as a fan now kind of say, ah, the Bengals should have hung on to him, or, or is it kind of like, hey, you know what, doesn't really matter. They're, they're going to get healthy, and uh, they're not missing him too much. They're still 5-3. and three. Yeah, just, you know, there's injuries to the wide receiver group, injuries to tight end, and then there's ineffectiveness towards the back end of the wide receiver group. So, you know, maybe having a LaFell in your back pocket to lean on during, you know, when, when there's a little bit of lead time, that's kind of where, where we were going with that question. Uh, I, I mean, uh, I'm 2020. I mean, I think that it was the right move right at the time because you want to give those young people, like, they'll never develop if they never get the chance. Just sucks that our number one draft pick is always injured. You know, <laughs> that, 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 like that's that's just like a crap blow right there. But I mean, I in hindsight, you can say maybe, but at the time, I think they made the right move. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I just think that um, you gotta you gotta be better at uh, evaluating evaluating the talent that you have at that depth because we've known that Cody Core. We know what we had in those guys because we've had them for multiple years. So if there was a time to go and get somebody, we felt could contribute a little bit more on the actual catching the ball part of football. Uh, we definitely should have did that. I feel like that's just a little bit of a bad foresight on the you know coaching to have, if you ask me. But we don't know. Just saying. Uh, but uh, thank you guys very much. Got my son here. Let you go. Awesome. Well, hope I, I we hope that you and he. I hope you and your son had a good Halloween. We'll answer your question off the air. Thanks for calling in. Don't be a stranger, buddy. Absolutely. All right. I thought that's a really interesting question, John, because uh, 
you know, the, the rules against hitting a quarterback now, that's that's interesting. Also, pass-happy league, and a lot of teams are getting the ball out so quickly that it's almost like the emphasis is on able linebackers and defensive backs. Um, you know, the big – I think there's always going to be use for a guy, a, a Geno Atkins guy, that, uh, the smaller, quicker guy that can penetrate and get after the quarterback. But, uh, you know, maybe the Andrew Billings guys, the big, you know, run-stuffer – whatever are becoming a little passe. What did, what did you make of that question from, from uh, caller Aaron there? Yeah, there's no doubt that the modern game of football is trying to attack the modern Bengals linebacker, which is slow and lethargic and isn't able to cover. So yeah, those guys are obviously going to be liabilities, but I mean, pressure is King and Geno Atkins will always uh, a three technique who can pressure up the middle and collapse the pocket from the inside. That'll always have value. But like, like you said, the average time to throw is, you know, dropping under two and a half seconds. That's why yeah. he's having such a phenomenal season with Indianapolis is that he's mitigating offensive line issues by getting the ball out quickly. And that's kind of – Dalton uh, is too. Yeah, Dalton has always done that, and that's always mitigated pressures from, you know, his poor center play. But, yeah, I think that it comes to a philosophical question of it's better to have dominant cover guys who can cover for, you know, that those first couple seconds or, you know, dominant pass rushers who can collapse the pocket better. Obviously, if you have both, you know, you'll be fine. But, it you know – it's almost like it's leaning towards better cover guys over better rushers. But I mean, guys like Geno Atkins, Carl Zeno, they'll always have value because they are good players and they'll, they'll be able to win a one-on-one blocks. And especially with the fact that, you know, college game is transitioning from developing better pass rushers over better offensive linemen. Not many programs are developing offensive linemen who are able to come into the league better so, or at, at a high level. So I do think that cover quick cover guys are becoming more and more valuable, but pass rushers will always still have that, value that they have yeah um and and that goes back a little bit to the old school mindset of this franchise and marvin lewis you know i mean they're not they're still kind of they they don't mix up a lot of looks up front they still kind of do that old school base four three defense yes a lot of the a lot of the times they they trot out nickel as their base defense but um you know a lot of teams in the league do the 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 three-man front with a lot of different blitzing linebackers and all that kind of stuff and different edge players to to try and create different mismatches up front. And, um, you know, the Bengals don't really do that on their end. But, you know, I think I think that there is still some value for a Josh Tupo a, and Andrew Billings in the AFC North because the Steelers still like to run the ball a lot. James Conner, you can tell. I mean, they're, they're, Le'Veon Bell is amazing, but James Conner has like four 100-yard rushing games this year. So, uh, I mean – Teams are still getting backs that, you know, that they want to use. Yes, there's going to be more passing and there is more passing, but the AFC North teams, they all play outdoors. And as this time of year rolls around, weather gets crappy and everybody plays outdoors and you're going to need some bat. You're going to need to lean on the running game a little bit more probably than you did throughout. So having some of those big defensive tackles you need, but um, I do agree that some of those, that's, that's why a Billings fell the way he did. Right, I mean, I mean, five five plus years ago, that's a first round pick. That's a first round guy, right? Um, but the league going the way it is, it's like, well, he can only play one or two downs, and and that's it. Um, and you know, where's the value in that? If if you're going to get a first round guy, you want a guy that can play often. So, um, interesting point. I thought that's that's an interesting question there from from our listener. We've got a couple more questions queued up. And uh, we'll get out of here, John. Um, a bunch of people asked us this, including Sam Anger. Um, 
and we'll get to the rest of his tweet in a minute, but I saw it was Sam Anger asked us this. I saw Cincy Fan Jungle City in the live YouTube chat asked us this, along with a lot of other people. Now that we're at the midway point, now that we've seen what we've seen, and the Bengals are 5-3, and three, how do you see the rest of it playing out, and do they make the playoffs? What's your prediction here? Now, if you need some help, I'll pull up the schedule uh, because we do know that the the Bengals play the Saints next week, which is, yes, it's at home, and yes, it's outdoors, which uh, falls into their favor, but um, it's one of the best quarterbacks to ever play the game in Drew Brees, and he's going up against a defense that is a sieve at this point. So uh, we look here. You have the Saints. Pretty tough stretch of games coming up here. Uh, in the next five weeks. Um, you have the Saints at home. You go to Baltimore. You host the Browns. Um, you host the Broncos. And then you are at the Chargers. So those are the next five games. And then you got the Raiders, the Browns again, and then the Steelers to end end the season. So, again, if you kind of want to break the schedule down in chunks, these next five games are pretty critical, especially since they're all – with the exception of one, they're all AFC games, um, and two of them are divisional. So that's kind of how the rest of the schedule plays out. Your thoughts? So I just literally counted on both hands the wins and losses. I kind of just on logic: three wins, five losses. Obviously, you know, crazy stuff happens all the time in the NFL. But I was just going off of, you know, Bengals typically do well against the Ravens, but I think that this Ravens team is going to have. Um, bad intentions based off of how last game went. I think they always are. I think this is the year that they go back to splitting Cleveland just because of the coaching change might revitalize, you know, what, yeah. what they have going on there. And plus, I'm honestly scared of Baker Mayfield now. Um, Saints, Chargers, Steelers, those are probably all losses because of obviously Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers are great quarterbacks that can, you know, destroy this defense. And at Pittsburgh Week 17, there'll be a lot of implications on that. It might get flexed to primetime. We don't know. But I'm going to say, but I, I, you know, Broncos, Raiders, I think those are basically pencil in the wins at this point and splitting the Browns. So I'm going to say floor is eight wins right now. And I would say best case is probably 10, and that's what they're going to need to get into the playoffs. So I guess the, the middle ground there is nine wins. So I'm going to say, yeah, eight or nine and – I'm going to say they just miss it, but that's that's going off of just basically like wh- what the teams are on paper, what the quarterbacks are on paper, what the team is right now. Unless they show things that are drastically different, more consistency on offense, just a better overall philosophy on defense, I don't think they're going to win one or two of the games that they need to win, and that's why they'll probably fall one or two games short. Yeah, um, I, I could totally see how you see how you see them going three and five uh, because you look at it, they they have terrible success against the Steelers. Um, I agree with you that I think this could be a year where they split with the Browns. I don't, I'm not as high on Baker Mayfield as you are. Um, but I think that the Browns defense is scrappy mm-hmm. uh, and you know, weather gets bad. Who knows, who knows what's going to happen in those two games. I think they could split that. I think Denver should be a win. I, th- I think, th- I think they can take Baltimore again. I mean, they have good success against Baltimore. I, you know, so I see, I see like four wins yeah, and there might be one that they drop where you're like, dude, really? But they also get one, maybe at Chargers, maybe, you know, maybe it's the the Ravens, maybe it's the Steelers. I see nine wins, and I see that Week 17 game probably meaning something. Yeah, um, for sure. And uh, I think 
given what's transpired and however the outcome is, I, I do think if it's nine and seven and the Bengals are fighting for their playoff lives in Pittsburgh as and the Steelers are doing the same, I don't like those odds. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do see that being the case. I think the Bengals probably go into that week with nine wins and maybe needing to win to get in or, or what have you. Um, so I, I will say nine and seven at this point, maybe barely missing the playoffs, um, potentially a wild card because the conference is, is kind of weak, but I see probably four, four wins in here. I hope actually it's the one again, at least one of them is against the Chargers because I'm going to that game. So oh. I would like to, I'd like to, I would like to see them win, but uh, I say four wins, nine and seven. They'll sniff the playoffs, maybe, especially if that last game comes down to it. Especially if it gets flexed into prime time. Oh boy! So uh, that's that's where I'm at. We've got a lot of questions. We we got a lot of questions on that, and uh, we'll we'll see. James Napke says NBC will flex the final game against the Steelers. Bengals will get slaughtered. They'll still squeak in the playoffs, but lose a wild card game against the Steelers again. Wow, poly positive right there. Uh, it's freaking likely though. It, 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 it totally is. It totally is. <laughs> it totally is. Uh, you know, I mean, that's just that's yeah. But you know, uh, the, we've said this before on this program, John. Those are the teams that you need to beat in order to do anything in the league. You got to beat the Steelers. You got to beat the Chiefs. You got you got to beat the Patriots. I mean, if you if you ever want to be a championship team, those are the teams that you, you need to beat. And hopefully, this feast or famine team becomes a little more feast than famine over the over the next stretch of the eight games. And hopefully, they work out a lot of stuff over the bye week. One more question, and you mentioned it a little bit, John. But one more question we're getting a lot of in the live YouTube chat and everything um, is about Hugh Jackson. Uh, Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson was just for those who have been living under a rock. Hugh Jackson was just let go as the Cleveland head coach. Obviously, has major, major ties to Marvin Lewis and the Cincinnati Bengals. One of the most successful offenses the Bengals franchise has ever seen was under Hugh Jackson in 2015. Unfortunately, Andy Dalton got hurt that year. We all know how that season ended, and um, so on and so forth. We did see a lot of creativity that year out of the offense, which was which was kind of cool. Um, but you now you, you look at it and he's out there. Uh, it's funny. I think he's going on first take on Friday morning. So he goes from being fired on Monday morning to going to, I think Adam Schefter said he goes, he's fired Monday morning and now he's going to go on ESPN Friday morning. But, um, look, he's not, he's not going to be a guy to replace Bill Lazor. Bill Lazor's done some good things this year. Um, if you're looking at an offensive coordinator, I think most people would say, you know, position assistant, uh, offensive quality control. I don't know, some position for him. Is there a fit for him here? Or is it just like, dude, let's move on. Let's, uh, you know, Marv, love, love you, Hugh, but, you know, let, let's just move on. Or could he bring some value uh, as a position coach, as an assistant, that sort of thing? If he steps into Hamilton County, I'm throwing hands. <laughs> perpetual liar out of the Bengals organization. Just today, he said, I wanted Wentz, Watson, and Mahomes. Browns would have been winning if had we had done it my way year one. The dude is a liar. The dude, I, I can't stand him. And, and Hard Knocks really valid, validated all my freaking hatred for this man. Keep him away. 
All right, the dude was 336-1 and one as the Browns head coach. And I know people were talking about him bringing his, as a consultant or his assistant. The guy started off, like, after he got fired from the Ravens, he started off as, like, a secondary assistant. Then he worked his way up to the offensive coordinator. And then, had he had stayed, he was going to be the next head coach of this team. So, don't I, I, don't, get, I don't get how just, just him being here as, like, a low-level responsibility guy is not going to have an impact on the future. I, I think that he has a legit relationship with Mike Brown, and if he gets back into the organization, he becomes the primary candidate to take over for the team as soon as Marvin Lewis leaves, and that is the exact opposite of what I want to happen if Marvin Lewis ever decides to give it up. Keep him away. Some other team just pick him up or hire him as a janitor or whatever. I don't want him to be part of here at all, and I could not say that at all. That is – probably the most emotionally charged John Sheeran I've ever seen on this program. And it's about Hugh Jackson of all things. God knows how dysfunctional they are. And um, I mean, the, the thing they can hang their hat on the most is the Kevin Costner movie at this point from a couple <laughs> of years ago. That's the most positive thing they've got going for him. So um, I'm going to say this about Hugh Jackson. I agree. He does not need to be with the Bengals. There's not really a place for him at this point anyway. Uh, but I will say this, and this is a prediction and it may be a lazy prediction and it may be a geographically based prediction, but I believe that Hugh Jackson will return to USC in some capacity, whether it's an offensive coordinator, head coach, um, that sort of thing. Clay Helton there is on the hot seat. T Martin, who college football fans probably remember him was an outstanding quarterback at Tennessee. Um, he is the offensive coordinator and has come under major scrutiny, USC, is in transition, but they're also underachieving this year. So I think Hugh Jackson, where he was there with Carson Palmer, I think Hugh Jackson probably returns there in some capacity, offensive coordinator, head coach, something, or somewhere in the Pac-12 in general. I just think he, he's going to go to the college level if he wants to continue coaching. I think that's that's where he's going to go. But, um, you know, I I just – I don't. there's not a place for him here. There's not a place for him in Cincinnati and um, – Maybe Marvin will get creative and cute with finding something for him, but I don't. I don't see it, and I don't. I don't see a need for it, um, unless he wants to divulge all of the Browns' secrets uh, this year and, and their game plans to the Bengals. Then so be it. But uh, I don't. I don't see that happening. Thanks for all of the questions and, uh, and everything, guys. Sorry we couldn't take many calls this this week. We've been uh, we kind of ran up against it and got a little swamped here and ran a little long, but. Um, we appreciate you joining us on this bye week. We appreciate your questions. Get this show on all the platforms we have mentioned, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Art19, CincyJungle.com, YouTube. Get the show. Listen to it. We appreciate it. And uh, tailgate with it. I wanted to end on this, John. We didn't get to, I didn't get to say all of Sam Anger's tweet because it's pretty cool. He, you know, he questioned he he, he sent the questions for you and I. His question essentially was the the ten and six narrative and and you know how does the season end? Uh, but he he also said keep up the cracking work, lads. You've been a huge part of my Fridays in the morning and on the way to work for quite some time now. Guaranteed great analysis and depth as always. Greetings from the UK, gentlemen. I mean that's rad. That's just rad. You know that that this show is means something to somebody you know, so far, you know, literally thousands away from where miles away from where I live and, and pretty much the same for, for you. So um, pretty stoked on that. Thanks for the question, Sam. And thanks everybody uh, for tuning in. Any final thoughts before we get out of here? Enjoy, enjoy the bye week buddy. Oh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be feet kicked up, you know, watching something that doesn't matter. I'll, I'll, I'll enjoy it. I can't wait. Good. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, it'll be a nice, nice reprieve. Like I said, not only, um, 
you know, we get to, we get to kind of kick back a little bit, both work wise, but just also the give the ticker a break. Oh my yeah. gosh. Uh, this team just, they, they got us on, on pins and needles all the time. So we'll see, but enjoy. Hey, this season has been far more enjoyable. Uh, this first half of the season has been far more enjoyable than the, the previous two seasons. Um, some, you, some could call it a surprise. Some could call it, Hey, that's exactly what I thought, whatever. Um, but uh, and they're on pace to potentially make the playoffs this year. So we'll see what happens. A lot more enjoyable football that the Bengals are providing for us this year. And uh, we hope you're enjoying that and this program. We'll see you next time. This is the Orange and Black Insider. For John Sheeran, I'm Anthony Cazenza. See you next episode. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G Podcast. we got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. 